All right, episode 21, we're, we're told, Kevin, uh, and, and today we have a special guest, Councillor Bill Parker. For your psalming number. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, that's that's where I was going with it, Bill, is I totally agree to Borea psalming. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've told people this story. He used to jog by my house in uh, Mississauga, Borea psalming, and uh, a great guy, a tragic, tragic loss to uh, hockey world. And you're, you know, let's talk about uh, Councillor Bill Parker. One of your backgrounds, of course, is hockey. Maybe explain to people your hockey background. Well, I played a little bit. Uh, started off with uh, playing in Salmon Arm, BC, and ended up in Kamloops, who at that time was the Kamloops Blazers, and then moved on to Trail Smoke Eaters for the WHL. The WHL, Ooh. and then uh, ended up in Calgary, uh, playing with the old Calgary Canucks team, and now the Calgary Wranglers. And uh, then I got drafted and uh, ended up playing in Rochester for a couple of years and uh, saw a few people go through the system through there and uh, then realized that uh, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, future for a stand-up goaltender. <laughs> so I had to learn how to play the butterfly and my knees weren't going to take it. So I decided so that I'd better move Ra on. Calgary Wranglers is the... Uh farm team for Calgary Flames, right? Is that's that, correct that's now. That's how it works, right? That's right. And uh, you were drafted uh, to... I uh, ended up Boston. in the Boston uh, Bruins system okay. and ended up playing in Rochester for the Rochester Americans. Okay. Rochester, New York. And, uh, in New York and uh, bounced around up there for a little while and that was enough. Uh, time to get out and uh, had another calling, so I uh, went into a private world for a year or two and then got into the RCMP. So... Where did you grow up, Bill, to play minor hockey? Like, eventually, you know, where, where was all that at? Salmon Arm, BC. Oh, Salmon Arm, BC. And then you went from there right into... Uh, into Kamloops. Kamloops. And then moved on from there. Mm. And a stand-up goalie. Wasn't stand-up goalies big back then? Uh, well, that was about the only thing there yeah. was. You know, the old Johnny Bauer system. Right. Uh, Gump Worsley, you stand up and uh, be a target. And then this was uh, with a face mask? Uh, eventually, yeah. <laughs> in minor hockey, you had to have a cage on, and uh, then went to the old uh, pancake uh, face mask and the old uh, jock plant uh, type of mask. The old jock plant mask. It was the only thing that was allowed out there those days. And that the, uh, in Halloween, that's the Halloween mask. Right? That's the Halloween mask. And <laughs> it's hard to imagine. You've shown me this this the, the mask that you had there, and it's all marked up. Like I couldn't imagine that being somebody's face. Oh yeah, that's uh, every that one of those crazy. Every one of those marks would be a stick or a puck or something that got <laughs> smacked on the face, and then you kind of dressed it up from there. And but, but look, wasn't that Jerry Cheever's play on his mask that, that he put a, a mark on every every uh, where a puck hit him in the face? He put a mark on there, right? Very much so. Uh, that was a big thing for him, and uh, he did it as a psychological effect to the shooters coming in on him. They'd see all the the scratches and the marks and everything on his face. And he, uh, it was kind of his way of saying, have at it, boy. <laughs> and you're, you're, a, you're not a lefty. I'm a regular righty, but yeah, right. I can also go left. So. Yeah, like Tony Esposito was one of the first lefties, right? Yes, uh, he was one of the first. And uh, some of the kids that we grew up with uh, going through there, uh, left-handed goaltender as a stand-up goaltender, was really frowned upon. They didn't uh, succeed very far until Esposito came in and he uh, made that uh, known out there, and that changed the shooting practices for some of the people then. Uh, back in the days that I was playing hockey, a backhand shot was probably as much as a forehand shot, and the wrist shot was the most popular, and uh, then Bobby Hall really went after the slap shot and the big numbers that went uh, booming along there with his brother... Uh, 
out there banging them away. So, uh, yeah, those are the now, days. Now, was that a six-team or 12-team league back that in the NHL? six. Six. I mean, to, just even to get into the American Hockey League, that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, there wasn't was, a lot of spots back then for hockey. It was. It was. And being an underage kid, that's why uh, going through the system, uh, you had to be careful of ages. And uh, it ended up uh, a, a kid by the name of uh, Mike Smithland was in there. And uh, he was uh, kind of in front of us, and he ended up being injured. So I got called up, and then went from there. Well, I don't know. You're, I I love this hockey story, your worship. Yours is your junior B days, right? Yeah, junior B. Junior That's B about B as far days. as I got. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I could was never. It Vermillion. I played for uh, Saint Paul Canadians. Saint Paul. Saint but, uh, Paul. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The I made the Tigers back when I was going to college, but I thought, you know, I better concentrate on going to college at Lakeland and and not play hockey because. I came from the Ontario system where there's just so many hockey players and it's like, I'm not going anywhere. But uh, some of the best hockey I've ever played in my life, having fun, uh, was juvenile hockey in Vermilion for Mr. Baddock. And it was, uh, it was a riot. And then uh, over to St. Paul Canadians. But, you know, because Canadians were part of what, the Montreal Farm Club way back when, right? Didn't they have roots to the Montreal Canadians somehow? They had uh, a tie-in through there, just through the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the... Somebody knowing somebody and, and going down the, the line. And a lot of it depend on uh, how the scouting for each of the teams were set up. Uh, in those days, uh, each of the teams hired their own set of scouts, and they went out and they relied upon uh, coaches and other people to kind of feed them information. But a lot of it was uh, who knew who in the zoo. And if you, uh, if you had a family member who played within the hockey system, that was kind of uh, they kept an eye on that pretty close and uh, followed that up really well. And then, so how did you get into being an RCMP member from hockey? You went into RCMP <laughs> and then and then eventually owning a Sears store here in Coal Lake. Right. Wife. But you got to remember uh, the liquor age in BC uh, was 21 at the time. And uh, when I came back, uh, I was not quite 21. And I had a business going in Salmon Arm, BC. We were doing floor installations. And, uh, one night, uh, Saturday night, a board silly. So sitting in the lounge by myself and a couple off duty RCMP members walked in and sat at my table. And uh, I was trying to figure out how was the easiest way to sneak out and trying to disappear. But, uh, <laughs> I started talking a little bit and, uh, I started listening and, uh, it sounded interesting. So I followed up, I, uh, applied for a BC auxiliary system within the RCMP at the time. And uh, that's when they found out how old it was. But uh, you're underage in that bar. I was underage. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, totally, I totally relate to that story because uh, when the a drinking age was older, it was very difficult to sneak into places. Oh yeah, yeah. You you had to be careful. You had to pick your days and who was working and who wasn't and yeah. who you knew in the community. And but it was interesting uh, just listening to them talk and uh, some of the things that they got involved in. And, uh, got interested. So I joined the auxiliary and the really interesting thing was, is my older stepbrother, uh, delivered fuel out in BC, uh, the, when they brought the fuel out to all the farms and he met a farmer and he had just killed a cougar mm. that was attacking some of the cattle and they found two kittens. So I went through the department of natural resources and got permission to have uh, one of the kittens and raise it. Wow. And so I had a pet for you. That was a pet for a pet cougar, a pet cougar. And, uh, you can ask my cousin, Diana, 
what it was like because she went to the door one day at my request and opened the door and Tawny came off the couch and uh, met her at the door and knocked her over and uh, some people on the highway were driving by and they saw this cougar on top of uh, my cousin Diana and she was laughing and petting him and uh, he was having fun licking her and but they thought he was attacking her and the next thing you know we had wildlife officers and police and everybody else around there. Wow that's very rare. It, uh, he became domesticated. He became domesticated because we had him right from a kitten. Mm-hmm. And when I joined the RCMP, I dropped him off at the Calgary Zoo. Mm. Oh, wow. So I mm. uh, had to drop him off there. You, and then, so eventually you came here to Coal Lake, you opened up a Sears store. I mean, you were, you were in the local area, in the detachment area. What, right. what made you, how did you go from RCMP and into being into your own business with you and your wife? Well, we, uh, we moved here in 92 and uh, working here, and I was uh, eligible for retirement and uh, looking around to see what other businesses there would be. And my wife was working at the Sears store and she found out that it was available. So we put an application in and then I retired one day and uh, went into business the next day. And you worked every day after that. Every day after that. And I found out what it was like to be a retail business person. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, hockey, it can be considered as a tactical sport uh, at times and certainly the RCMP and then owning a business. How did that all get into you interested in in municipal politics? Well, I've always been interested in municipal politics, but the biggest thing for me was wherever you live at, you've got to improve the community. You can't just let things sit. You've got to get out and make things better. Uh, Try to do something for the community to make it more positive uh, for the people that are there. And that's really my motive. Uh, I've always been interested in the, uh, municipal end of things, just to how things work and where they would go. And being a business person, it's really hard because, uh, you're tied to your business basically 24 seven. So we were growing the business and I didn't really have the time to get interested in it, but I would come and sit in to a few council meetings every now and then had an opportunity to be involved in a subdivision appeal, I guess, and looking at a few things that way. But uh, overall, uh, just looking at the every community you're in, if you're going to be involved, you got to make it, uh, try to make it better. And it can be little steps, big steps, but whatever steps you take, make it better. Yeah. And that's the reason why. Cool. And then I, I know you, uh, we knew each other uh, before you ran for council. You were always interested in, in running for politics, uh, municipal politics, and you just said that the time wasn't right. This past election, uh, what, 14, 15 months ago, you decided to throw your name in and you got in. And, it, you know, you're right. Uh, those that have been in business have always said that they're reluctant to get into municipal politics because they're always worried about, you know, the workload uh, balancing, but also how it's going to impact their own business. Very much so, because if you're trying to grow your business, you're evaluating your business every day. You're looking at it from a distance and you're looking at it from the eyes of a customer and how can you make it better and make the experience better for your customer coming in. And you take that same idea now to council and you look at everything that you do and how you move forward. How can you make the experience better for the people that are living here? So it's the same idea and it's the same thing in hockey. You work together as a team to make the team better. You make it go forward. And you look at uh, the number of kids that have gone through some time of organized sports. Most of them have gone into other activities, usually involving within the community. 
they get back into coaching, they get back into working with kids, they get back into working with people. And it's working with people is the number one thing, making it better for their experience. Yeah, I think Chris Vining would be a good big defenseman, eh? Like if you're talking about a hockey Vining, I think we'd, we'd put him on what, left defense or right defense? What do you think? Uh, I would want him right in front of me so yeah, he'd right block all the shots. Goalie, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't want to go in a corner with him. Uh, you want to be the third man in yeah, with him. third man in. Counselor <laughs> Vining is also a history in junior B hockey yeah, yeah, too, he's right? a hockey player, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I don't think yeah. I'd want to go in the corners with Chris. I think, uh, I don't know. You're going to have to be a real speedy guy to get around him, I think. Yeah, or either that or you'd have to kind of uh, hang on to his hips and get rid of his elbows because uh, <laughs> I think his elbows would be in there too. Yeah, it'd be right at your head level. Yep. But uh, when you first got uh, on council here, I mean, Kevin's group uh, on administration uh, puts everybody through the paces the first 30 days or so. It's, uh, there's a big, steep learning curve. I don't think a lot of people appreciate uh, what newbies have to go through. Um, what was it like for you? I really enjoyed it because, again, I had the time. So when we get those four and five and six big binders with information in there about uh, what's happening within the city and the planning and all the uh, other things that are going with it, uh, it was really interesting. And uh, I had some late night readings. I usually stay up till between one and three in the morning. So I would stay there and read through all the information and then go back and absorb it and kind of relate as to what is happening within the community and how it would be impacting certain areas within the community and the people living there. So it was really interesting, but it was a lot of information. And I know if anybody was uh, in other types of business or other work, it would be a lot of information to absorb. So then you start to put some of it to the side. Mm-hmm. But uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, it's um during the election or just prior to election, the one topic we're going to talk about right now is the animal intake center. And uh, so was what I found fascinating um, from the sidelines is that uh, the previous council had made some uh, significant decisions on, on delivering uh, and dealing with uh, the animals uh, that are running loose or getting dropped off. And uh, we're on a journey trying to uh, build a new facility, of course, working with the Lakeland Humane Society on a complex. And then in the end, the city took the initiative to build what they can afford uh, for a building to provide that level of service. And so not addressing who would provide the workers inside the building, but making a capital commitment to build that. It was fascinating during the municipal election. I, I don't think, Bill, at the forum, there was even a, a question about... Um, the, you know, dealing with animals and animal control and, 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 the, and the shelter uh, during the forum. Do you remember or recall anybody asking those type of questions? I think there was just one question as to how, how we were feeling about uh, uh, the current situation going on. And the way I pictured it with the information that I had given to me prior to getting on council, I always felt that there was a lot of information that wasn't being shared. Uh, from all sources, I guess, at that point. So in having a look at it uh, even further, when I had a local person in the community actually pose a question to us and asking for a written response. So I wrote back that I really didn't feel that the information that we had out there was really good information. I felt that there was a lot of information that was not being presented to be able to form an opinion as to 
whether uh, the current situation was adequate or whether we should be moving forward. But as a citizen using the Lakeland Humane Society for many animals that we've had going through our household, uh, I was familiar with just going in and picking up an animal and registering it and, and working through there. So as a business, uh, we supported the the, the old system that was there. Uh, we had wash machines that we would make sure they were over there, uh, laundry soap for them to clean their stuff, and we would kind of support them going through in different areas. But I just always had the feeling that there was not enough information coming out. So now that we've seen some of the information and, and what's going on, uh, I have a better understanding. of Yeah, like the building, you know, nobody's going to deny it. The building was very old over there. Uh, and uh, well, there was two buildings over yeah. there. One was the actual old city of Cold Lake Pound, which is kind of just that shed, that tin shed that's there, you know, probably has about 10 or so kennels that were in there. And then the administrative building, I think, was donated by one of the local oil companies that was uh, where the cats were and stuff like that, and the adoption center and stuff like that. So there's two pieces that were there. So the city's uh, component was really really old and dilapidated you're absolutely right yeah and, and you know and, and i think everybody has to appreciate that uh, when you're on council you look at all of the needs on a capital side and and you have to weigh it and you look at all the different projects all the different buildings and you know whether or not the uh, a new facility took longer than had hoped but in the end uh you know we went to tender uh and we put in what is a beautiful building over there and has a lot of space uh, inside it, and it's going to provide tremendous care for the animals. Plus, for the CPOs that are, uh, you know, uh, the officers that are picking up uh, Fluffy when it's running around loose in the city, um, there's going to be, uh, they're going to drop off the animal, and the cages are amazing. It's all cement floors. Yeah, that, that tour was uh, amazing there. Yeah. Uh, you know, when that project all started, uh, um, you know, the city of Cold Lake and the uh, Lakeland Humane Society did a, an initial, uh, actually hired an architect to understand um, what the square footage and needs are for the facility. And unfortunately, that the size of that building that was being proposed was uh, in the order of magnitude of over 14,000 square feet. It was a massive facility. And uh, when you take 14,000 square feet, it was actually 14,600. And, you know, our construction prices today are probably to the north of $500 a square foot, um, you know, you're talking about over a $7 million to $8 million maybe um, figure. That's a substantial, substantial. And somehow the city of Cold Lake had to find a way to, you know, how do we, you know, the animals need something. And um, the way it's happening out there is pretty dilapidated. So therefore council made the decision, well, we'll take the one third part of the building that was gonna be slated for the animal intake center component because that was built in and, uh, and built it, right? And if the Humane Society wanted to add on with the rest of their facility with at, you know, at their fundraising and their dollars, they can do so, right? And, uh, and it did so and that costed, you know, about that $500 a square foot, which is a 4,000 square foot, so $2 million at the end of the day. Yeah, so we have a $2 million building sitting there and, it, and we've, and the council's uh, gone on a tour. And then, uh, and at the same time, as this is all going out, uh, the Humane Society made a, you know, I think, anyways, a really uh, cool business decision, and they scooped up the old Terramera kennels, as uh, all the locals know, and um, and that site has a lot of potential to be uh, 
you know, quite a, quite a facility in its own. So um, the idea, of course, is that there's workers inside the, the building right now. We've just opened up and uh, we're, we're taking in dogs and cats now. Uh, and the staff that are inside the building are city forces. Yes, uh, uh, the soft uh, opening was January 2nd. Uh, um, Lakeland Humane Society kind of is the formal still pound keeper up until I think January 15th. Um, so we just soft opened, we're there. Uh, there are people starting to come in and visit and having a look at the facility. Um, so if anybody wants to go down and have a look, they can definitely do so. Um, the city of Cold Lake now, you know, there's a bylaw. Um, of course, just like nothing changes in terms of how things operate. Um, there is a bylaw that says how many days that the uh, animals will be held by the city of Cold Lake, whether it's a, uh, you know, purebred cat, dog, and their specifications, whether it's three, five days or 10 days, depending on what type of animal it is. And then uh, from there, the city will have uh, uh, relationships with uh, humane societies, uh, uh, I'll bet with the Lakeland Humane Society or others, because some might be full or can't be able to receive them. And depending on the dollar figures of the, at the time, then we'll, we'll offload. If those animals are not claimed or, or, and are now needing adoption, then we'll, uh, we'll go out to the, uh, to the various areas to get them uh, adoption organizations to, to be able to start that process. Yeah, and I think that's where the big push right now to get your, your animal registered is that the city has an inventory of uh, all of the animals that are, that are out there so that if uh, your, your animal does get loose, and gets you know brought over to the intake center they can quickly turn around that animal well it's quicker right and if it's registered then you don't have to it's less risk in that aspect if it's chipped and uh, um, we're able to scan it and then uh, it goes to an inventory that we can be able to see and have the address if it's up to date then it's it's a lot easier than um well this is like you say fluffy and we don't know and somebody's trying to find you know post it on social media and then and then you don't find the owner right but um but at the end of the day, the, uh, you know, we do want to say that, uh, you know, all these uh, humane societies and, and uh, um, organizations uh, do take good care of these animals. And uh, that's the intent is here is to, uh, um, we, we bring them in the intake and then uh, they get handed over to an adoption organization for, uh, uh, for the next step. Um, very similar, actually, I was just, uh, I was, we were actually, uh, my uh, daughter was out at the Humane Society at Terramares just to look. They don't, they, you know, they didn't have what she was looking for. But we did go to, uh, drive to Edmonton to look at the Edmonton uh, uh, intake center there on the northwest uh, side, Edmonton off 170th. And uh, they've got a beautiful facility up there. And it very much same as the, the city of Edmonton has their intake facility area. And then the Humane Society had their adoption area side. So it's kind of very much. Now, the design that was put together was very much what the city of Edmonton did. Actually, you can, there is a lot of characteristics that are very interesting uh, similarities when I visited the facility. Uh, unfortunately though, when you start talking about a seven to $8 million build and, and asking for the taxpayers to build that, you know, that's a significant, right. And, 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 and a challenge to trying to come up with that kind of money, either by the city of Cold Lake through taxes or even for the humane society to, um, to try to do a fundraising that's substantial and uh, probably the better investment like you say that's a great you know great pickup was the uh, terramare kennels yeah no and, and if anybody wants to drop off their you know heard these stories about people just that don't want to have their pet anymore uh, i think the idea is that's where lakeline humane society is going to be a real good option for people in the area to, oh, to just take, take your animal over there and see if they can uh, now foster it out somewhere else right well, I think that's a great idea. They can take it out there. It's uh, it's better than letting Fluffy just go on the side of the road and 
chasing down uh, with, by a coyote or something like that. So they can take it over to the Lakeland Humane Society. They are in a position to be able to take the animal and uh, A, make sure it's in good shape. And second of all, uh, start the adoption process with the people out there and they can take it from there. The city side going from picking the animal up and into the uh, animal control uh, it's there for minimum of three days if it's uh, just an, uh, an animal, but most of the time it's going to be closer to 10 days it's going to be there while it's uh, going through the system and uh, trying to find uh, a uh, humane society that will take the animal and, and move it on with that. Uh, that's the whole idea is to get the animal back into uh, a very secure and a home-loving uh, area. You know, one thing one thing we do want to recognize is the uh, when uh, the city of Cold Lake uh, engaged a, um, actually it was a company called JMAA Architect and uh, um, you know basically uh, the design was uh, in you know probably you know ninety nine percent was put together by the our local Lakeland Humane Society in terms of that overall fourteen thousand square foot uh, building and uh, when the city of Cold Lake said well let's pair it down to at least being able to do the animal intake center. You can actually, and I, I've got it around the table, although the public can only hear us speak, um, the actual intake center is you can, is almost a, a mirror image of one third of the, uh, of the existing facility. So therefore, uh, you know, we use the design because we wanted to accommodate how um, the Humane Society actually said how it should be laid out within the facility and incorporated that design and just lopped it off and said, here, this is how we're going to build it. And, uh, and, and accommodate the design that was actually submitted for that intake center. And we're going to rotate staff in there throughout the shift, the 24-hour period to check up on the animals. I mean, this whole thing on the, I mean, I don't watch Facebook and all this, but this whole comments about what a kill shelter and all that, I mean, that's just a bunch of nonsense that's out there on the internet. And I just encourage everybody to, to just, uh, you know, glaze over that. That's, that's no, there's no uh, truth to that. The intent is, is after so many days, we're going to build a relationship with it, whether it's with the Lakeland Humane Society or other organizations. It'll be multiple, including yeah. the Lakeland Humane to Society. Take, take the animal. I mean, the real intent really is to hopefully find the owner, right? And then, and then hand them, hand, hand it over to somebody like the Humane uh, Society who will sure. do a, a good job of, and, and their mandate is to keep the animal for quite a long time. And that's where the public can help uh, contribute money. And we encourage that is to, they want to make a donation, you know, for animals, uh, give it to the Humane Society. Sure. No, no, by all means, uh, they're a good society out there. They've been around for a number of years. They know what they're doing. Uh, they've just got to uh, get that uh, support out there from the local people. Yeah. So let's go from that topic to the uh, one, you know, when you ran for council, Bill, did you ever think that you would get into the business of health, health in the community? And, you know, we did our strategic planning, and once again, uh, a new council uh, came in when the top five was with health, health issues. The medical medical clinic or medical was our number top five. But once again, since about 2006 or so, it's uh, it's been a number, you know, we're always in the top five. Um, now we're going to set up a municipal control corporation. And uh, um, did you, are you surprised that we've gone into this sandbox? <laughs> I think it's a great thing that we're in this sandbox. It's going to uh, rock the boat here a little bit and uh, make Coal Lake uh, be a community of choice for a lot of people. Uh, I looked at it from a point of view of uh, my wife went in one day for a doctor's appointment. She needed a prescription renewed. 
And uh, the pharmacist had already extended it by a month, and she was booking four and a half to five months down the road to simply get a, a prescription renewed. Wow. And that's, that's unacceptable. And when you start to talk to some of the local people, being a senior myself, uh, you start to talk to some of the seniors and some of the people that are there, and you start to hear the horror stories that are coming out of the woodwork. And that doesn't surprise me at all that uh, health is now one of the top five. And if it wasn't the top one, it was the top one or two of the strategic planning right. that we had. So, yes. And council, and council went into detail about actually in the strategic planning session about an actual clinic, actually facility. That yeah. was that was highlighted right on there. And uh, from a business point of view and looking at the numbers that we've been able to see, uh, my recommendation right off the bat was uh, let's move on this. Uh, let's go forward because when you analyze the numbers purely from the number side, let's take the, the personal side out, it made sense. It made sense for the city to get involved. If there's nobody else that's willing to step up and to do it, then let's lead the bus. Let's get in the front of the bus and get it going and uh, get it started. And if this is what it takes to, uh, to get the situation in Coal Lake uh, for the betterment of the people and, and the people we have out here, then let's do it. I think the common theme that I would add on here is, and, and you mentioned it, it's, you know, that five months waiting for, for, for your wife to get in for a prescription renewal. And a lot of times in that, you're having to phone every Monday, you know, to see if there's any cancellations or adding to the booking. And then of course, every Monday it goes by, you keep doing it. But, uh, you know, the... Um, you know, the doctors that we have here are, are, are great. They're, they're good people. They're, uh, you know, but they're busy, right? And it's not the quality, uh, they, you know, they're, they're great physicians. They're doing great family, uh, physician work and stuff, but it's the access, right? That's really a, the challenge is, is, is the quantity, uh, the quantifying and, uh, of, uh, of accessibility to these, uh, physicians and your yeah. family doctor. Cause our doctors are not like GPs in Edmonton where they, they also have to work at the hospital itself in the emergency and it's room. so unfair for rural Alberta, um, for our docs to have to do other segments, which is fun. I think that's why some of the doctors come out to work merge and, and, and do all Surgical sorts of things. Yeah. Right? But, but at, at the same time, um, quality of life is important for the, for the medical community. And I think hopefully HS by us getting involved now, uh, with this MCC, you know, we'll have a, we'll have a bigger voice because we have a big seat at the table and I think when I look at the, the long-term growth of providing an in, you know, a, the, the city through the MCC is probably going to have a much more flexibility to look at uh, uh, further space for, for, for more physicians to come into Cool Lake to take the pressure off our existing uh, pool. It's just like hockey, Bill. Like if you only have a bench of 10 doctors and they want you to work a merge on a regular shift, I mean, a bench of a bench of a bench of fifteen or twenty is a lot easier to deal with than mm -hmm. than ten ten players on that bench, and and so, you know, I really feel for the doctors over the years in Cool Lake because they're just uh, they just they just spun like a top. I, it, it's interesting that uh, uh, your worship, you and I got to hear a few stories, uh, 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 you know, a, a week or two ago. And, uh, you know, one of them was, 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 was interesting and, and, and hearing it from a, from a, not just one of them, there was, it was a few doctors that, uh, in, you know, of course, 2022 was a little bit more amplified because of some of the challenges that were there. But, um, when a physician has 15 to 1800, uh, 
clients or patients on their pallet and on their on their panel. And uh, between being in the emergency room rotation and also having to do the physician assist, which can be in the middle of the night, so Is they can't do assist, yeah. right the surgical assist, and uh, and then uh, only leaving an average in 2022 for a couple of doctors that we spoke to was uh, five 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 uh, clinic days a month to mm-hmm. to to see their patients, right. There's just, there's no accessibility and they a hundred percent agree. There has to be, something's got to give and something's got to change. Right. Yeah. You know, and so, so we're, we're going to have a public hearing here at the end of the month in January. Anybody that's, uh, can read up on, on the MCC and can come into a council meeting and voice their displeasure or more pro or support. Uh, yeah. yeah. Support for the MCC. Uh, and then council will eventually uh, vote on it once again. And then, uh, and then the idea is that uh, if it, we keep moving in this direction, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, the MCC will take over the clinic, uh, Glacier, as it's known right now in the community, Glacier, uh, April 1. And uh, we have four family doctors working out of there right now. And uh, just the other day was the first time that that building's actually had four f- family GPs working uh, two days in a row. So that was a first for that building. You know, we've had some uh, new doctors come into Coal Lake, and it's exciting because... Um, more or less the, the one doctor, uh, that just recently came to Coal Lake, um, is probably the first doctor that's going to have what's called a new panel where he can, yeah. he can eventually accept new patients. Accept new patients. Otherwise yeah. doctors have come in to replace, uh, other doctors that are either on leave or are, have left our community. So it's pretty cool. I mean, I'm really excited. And Coal Lake, the community itself has a lot to offer for doctors that have, especially those that have families. And the doctor that you're speaking of, you went down to Brooks to get the individual. Yeah, I drove down there and, you know, I went and picked him up because it was a funny text that uh, I'd met him on his um, coming to Coal Lake and looking at the community. And uh, he's just a real a positive individual. He really wanted to come to Cold Lake. He was and just, he's, yeah. he's, he just loves Cold Lake. But we understand that there's a lot of other doctors in the, uh, in the region that were phoning him to go to another community. Yeah, well, it, it was uh, so. I went down to Brooks to pick him up when he was done his uh, his credit accreditation, and uh, I said, well, "Here's my number. If you ever need me, uh, text me." And then he said, well, "I need. I'm coming to Coal Lake." And I said, "Well, how are you getting here? I don't know." So I I, <laughs> I, I got the city vehicle there and I zipped down to Brooks and uh, and I must admit I don't really remember driving home. I know I was doing it, but we talked for the whole six and a half hours on the way back. Sounds and, like distractive driving. And uh, it was amazing. You know, you're meeting somebody for the first time, really getting to know him, but uh, just talking about life, uh, where he's from in Africa and, and the stories. And, uh, you know, the funny the funny one is, you know, we're very blessed with uh, a lot of the uh, foreign doctors that come to Coal Lake in the area. They've seen a lot of crap. And, uh, you know, and like he was saying in his community back in South Africa, it typically saw a stabbing every day on shift and emerge. And I was like, wow. And an occasional gunshot, of course. And so, and then I'm asking him questions about the difference between a wound on a gunshot versus a stabbing. But, uh, it was, it was great. I mean, and he's excited to be here. I think the winter has really caught him off guard, but, uh, he bought a nice jacket and, and, uh, and, and but you know, these are, there's so many doctors out there that want to come to, to Canada and, and, and a lot of them come here not only because their heart's in the right place to help people, but also for quality of life and also for their children. It's amazing that a lot of them are sacrificing a lot to, to come and bring their kids so that they raise in Canada. And we take it for granted how lucky we are in this country. I wanted to add a component to this conversation. Oh, and uh, and uh, that is uh, 
you know, med medical or access to physicians seems to have been a common or really started to be in the last couple of years, um, especially moving into this term of council, uh, at an economic development barrier um, to the community. You have people saying that, well, you know, and when you're talking more professional people, whether it's engineers or whatnot, well, we don't necessarily want to move to the community because there's no access to physicians. Or even actually, there's a lot of stories of people moving away because they need better access to. So it's, it's, it's becoming, it, it has become, an, uh, you know, a barrier or a constraint to economic development for the com community because it seems to be a common, it comes up in so many subject matters there as well, you know, the Cold Lake uh, Four Wing Base is identified as an issue because there's not for their family members of the of the of the person working for the military. For it's an issue yeah. when they don't have a family doc, and, and it's recognized. We hear it all the time. I mean, you, Bill, you must have heard it on the campaign. We about. hear it, yes, all the time, and I, I can relate back to the 1980s uh, with the RCMP. Uh, you start having a family within the, the RCMP, and you start having uh, family demands for a doctor, and and that becomes a, an issue for will I come to Coal Lake or will I move to Edmonton or around the city because I want to have access to a hospital and a doctor near the city. So now all of a sudden rural Alberta doesn't have any RCMP members coming in or wanting to get there. So now they're relying upon recruits coming in all the time to replace those positions and so those young members are coming into the rural areas. I'll, I'll throw out the Lac La Biche, the Coal Lakes, the, the areas that uh, are not maybe getting serviced as well as they are around the cities. And there was a lot of members that would simply refuse to go to some of these outlying places. In part of, yep. because... No medical facilities because yeah. of family issues. Yeah, yeah. access. What that talks about, because it, it leads into the conversation, is, is that there's a recent announcement by the federal government you're talking about the planes. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's, so we've made a huge decision finally. I mean, it's been a it's like uh you know, I don't know what what you say, but this has been the longest purchasing uh journey. Um but you know, we finally have made a decision. I mean, let's just talk about uh flying the F18, you know, the, up in the air for how many years? Over 40 years or something. I mean, credit to the men and women uh, that have kept that plane up in the air for all this time. And it sounds like they're going to have to continue flying for another uh, 10, years. 10 years. But, you know, finally, we've made a decision as a country to purchase a, an airplane. And, you know, of course, uh, could be arguably the, the best fighter jet out there. But I think it's really going to change the dynamics uh, of the city, um, you know, certainly in the in 2030 and beyond. Uh, to be to be having all of these uh, the new fighter jet uh, F thirty five in Coal Lake and in Bagaville, but just the the infrastructure alone that's going to have to be built on the wing. Uh, people don't understand that a lot of that, if not all of it, was built in the fifties and sixties, and and old old buildings, old technology, and now you're going to get a, the, the most state of the art aircraft. And now the federal government has to make a major capital investment, take down the old buildings, and put up new. Uh, with uh, the latest and greatest technology, it's going to be exciting. Uh, we're we're in the report. It's talking about a half a billion dollars worth of uh, yep. capital infrastructure on, in Coal Lake, and I think that's going to be really cool. And I think that speaks to why council, in in another way, got into the MCC as it's called, is that uh, our population is going to be growing here, mm -hmm. and uh, we're going to have a lot of tradespeople in town uh, for a long period of time. But we're also going to we're also going to have an increase. We saw our population rise by 4% in, in, in uh, this year. 
Uh, we're going to continue to grow and we need more family docs. It all ties into it, but I think it's going to be exciting times finally. Um, so I think you know, maybe by uh, 24, we'll start to see some, uh, some, some building going on over there and uh, it'll be a, you know, several years of build and then an upgrading on the arrow weapons range. I think, I think we're going to be the economic driver, you know, doubt in, in Northeast Alberta. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, the interesting thing is too, is we start getting the infrastructure built up on the, uh, on PLRS and we start getting the base here, uh, with the new facilities that they're going to have coming in. We're also going to see perhaps the return of the maple flag aspect of it and coming in we're we're not so outdated now for all the new planes that are coming in. Now they'll be able to keep up and uh, get back to the maple flags. And you're going to start seeing that atmosphere coming back for the community downtown. And I think that's only going to be a positive for everybody down the hotels and restaurants and car rentals and places around. Possibly countries keeping their planes here and, and just rotating out crew uh, every two years, like the old days with the Germans and the, in the Brits. That was kind of cool. You had to have a dining room in your house for the rental market <laughs> back in the day. You remember those days? I remember those yeah. days. So everybody was building dining rooms and now everybody's got houses in Kohli with dining rooms. And I go, I don't want a dining room. But at least in the discussions that we've had with uh, all the contacts, including the contractor uh, with Department of National Defense. Everything was being stalled until there's the announcement of the F-35 pack because nothing was able to move forward until they, that, that platform was picked, right? So now at least the stake is in the ground. Yes, the planes may not be, you know, you only get a couple when it comes, you know, you know three years from now, but um, you ramp up to get to the 88 in 10, 11 years. But um, at least now that the, the stake is in the ground, and now you have to start construction and start developing the uh, the support services. So now, now you're going to see the investment start to roll into the community. That's very positive for, for the city of Cold Lake. But it's not only that project as well, because you also got the carbon capture conversation. You know, that's a, you know, there's a lot of conversation surrounding that between industry and uh, some of the municipalities within the region. And uh, um, what's your take on that? Well, I think that it's all going to collide. So you're going to have uh, this, the, the carbon capture storage is going to uh, um, start to ramp up around 2026. And, and we're going to have all of these construction workers in town for, the, uh, for the, the, the big construction on the base. So it's going to be, you know, it is very concerning uh, what, what our housing stock could look like, what our accommodations will look like. The carbon capture, actually, um, there's a lot of infrastructure that gets built probably away from Coal Lake. And then this do Leduc yards and elsewhere, and then it'll get trucked mysteriously enough on Highway 36, and then up on the famous Highway 28 with no pull-offs to get to Coal Lake. And so you know, here we are talking carbon capture storage and all of this big pieces of equipment that gets you know attached to the infrastructure out at at uh, the 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 um, oil sands operations in our area, but they have to truck it all, and it's comical that uh, we still have, every time we do a big boom in this area, we still have not addressed the, the, the elephant in the room, which is, of course, the conditions of Highway 28. But I think there's going to be a lot of construction workers in our city and elsewhere uh, putting infrastructure in place uh, out at site. And then the oil companies will deal with the carbon. Some will be able to put it, process it right on site and then put it down whole into the formation or some will put it in a pipeline, especially the ones up near the Fort McMurray area and, and into the air weapons range. The pipelines will come down into this whole Lacore, Coal Lake area 
and then uh, it, it's processed. So pipeline work, but whether or not it's going to come with a lot of permanent jobs, I don't think that is going to happen. But I think you're going to see a lot of construction workers uh, tagged to this this thing. And also, you know, they, let's just hope that uh, those that are anti-oil give the oil sands operators some credit that they're trying to capture their carbon. I don't know if it's going to buy us any more legitimacy out there in in the market, um, but uh, you know Alberta gets ridden, rode over the track so much by the world on on our dirty oil, and yet uh, if anybody's had to work for like um, with the province on projects, we have some of the strictest uh, governance. Uh, regulations, yeah. And it's just overwhelming. And uh, we're our worst enemies because you would think, oh, we're going to be a free willy, you know, type of province. But in fact, we we're very restrictive and the oil producers are up against these restrictive policies. But yet we get no credit for it from the bankers in the world. Right. So it's unfortunate. But, uh, you know, I'm, eventually people are going to want this oil. And right now we're stuck where the oil, we really don't have any straws coming out of Alberta. And so I, I don't anticipate a lot of, this is the world according to Craig, I don't anticipate, <laughs> I don't anticipate uh, a lot of growth when it comes to the oil patch in terms of production. I think it's just going to be steady, replacing what reserves are going down with new stuff. But the, the flow, if you're flowing $100, 100 barrels a day going down that pipe, it's going to be 100 barrels. There was a but nasty eventually, report that was on that uh, uh, keystone in the south there, right? Well, that's what, uh, that's the world according to Craig is the world will change, uh, possibly, uh, when, possibly. <laughs> uh, if the Republicans can ever figure out what they're doing, but the, the 2024, uh, U.S. elections will be uh, a game changer for Alberta. And if, uh, Republicans get in, then uh, Keystone or, or something like a Keystone will be back on the books. People don't realize that that big pipe was going to suck so much oil from Alberta down to the United States. And, uh, and you know, all you got to do is look up uh, strategic reserves right now in, in the United States. They're just sucking down their strategic oil reserves in a big way. Well, to keep their prices, of and, the oil price down, yeah, right? Alberta has the gift, and uh, let's just hope we don't shoot ourselves in the foot. Uh, we have an amazing, Canada has so much resources, and we just do not uh, take advantage of it. But. Yeah. We could always put a pipeline up to Thompson, Manitoba, and yeah. uh, going out through the Hudson's Bay. Yeah, great fishing up in yeah. Long and <laughs> fishing, and fishing. Yeah. What about Cold Lake fishing? Yeah, yeah so Cold Lake, yeah, absolutely, was uh, recognized by an agency, uh, uh, a fishing specialist, on uh, that Cold Lake is in the top ten. Top in- ten fisheries. So what? What fishery? Uh, what magazine was that? Did we have it? We have it on our social media. Yeah. I think we pushed it out. That was pretty amazing. Yeah. Fish bunkers or something, wasn't it? <laughs> Fishbooker.com or something? Yeah, Fishbooker.com. And they recognize that Coal Lake, and, and you know, it's not surprising. There's so many people come from all over to fish Coal Lake because what the uniqueness of it is uh, you have a lake trout population that's very strong. Uh, you can, if you're a good fisherman, <clears throat> um, you can catch, uh, you know, anywhere from, you know, up to 20, 30 fish a day, some of these people are catching, not, not me, but, uh, with, uh, and they're out there, you know, you can just walk out right now and, and fish for Lake Trout. And it's, um, the beauty of Coal Lake uh, is that it's a highway driven to get there, uh, although on a lousy highway, but, uh, you, you know, most Lake Trout fisheries, you have to fly in to get to, and Coal Lake is unique is that you can drive to it. You can camp on the lake. Uh, so it's become very popular. We've got people from all over coming to Coley. And we got fish derbies on there. We got the age friendly fish derby coming up in February and the fish that we saw last year 
in the pictures that were coming out of there were fantastic. Lake trout. And you can, and ice fishing, you can catch them in 30 feet of water. You said, yeah. just, I think you yeah. told me this morning that there's one, uh, uh, one of our local residents, uh, caught it, uh, in 30 feet of water recently. Yeah. He, wow. they, Yes, it was a, it's a funny story because he was cooking, a, I think, a prime rib in the oven. So he just went out, uh, they went out and put the holes just in front of their house in about 30 feet of water. And uh, they caught this big, big lake trout. I think the city's going to post it on the website, but I think it's around a, a close to 90 centimeter, a big, beautiful lake trout. Um, and, you know, they're long living animals. Um, and because the uh, the lake has been, you know, heavily uh, restrictive in terms of uh, the fish have, have to be 75 centimeters or bigger in order to keep it. Uh, there's been a ton of catch and release fishing and the population's had a lot of years of good spawning and the population is building up. You can catch a lot of little fish. So it's a, it's a unique fishery and, uh, they cut a monster. Top 10, uh, we have a fishing tournament coming up and then also the fishing regulations are being reviewed now. Yeah, there'll be a a public, uh, it's on this environment and and protected areas, uh, site, uh, my, uh, I think through the, my wild Alberta, they'll have some postings on on uh, on the sessions for Coal Lake. So they also want people to fill out a survey on Coal Lake, Lake Trout Fishing. Um, and they had a panel of people uh, that worked with the provincial reps on uh, suggestions for Coal Lake on the Lake Trout population. Because, you know, the fisheries staff don't want to wreck a good thing, right? They're sensitive. They've got a lot of data. But they also know that there's been, you know, some people anyways, want to uh, be able to catch uh, a smaller fish because... Um, they feel that it it uh, it does better in the oven or however you're going to cook it, rather than the big the big fish, right? And a lot of people believe in in letting the big fish, the big the brooders, it's called, or the big females, um, keep them because they'll have more eggs. Uh, let them go back in the lake and and maybe uh, harvest a certain size uh, of a fish, maybe sixty to sixty five centimeters or whatever. So everybody's got an opinion because that's what fishermen do. They all have an opinion. They're like a politician. We and have lots of time out there on the ice to think about it. Time, so. you know, when you're putting that hook down there and you're thinking about life and, yeah. You can. I, I can't keep this one. <laughs> I want the fishing regulations to change. It's amazing. Like, you know, you just go down the marina uh, when, it, uh, when it's the open water season and you see the uh, technology, the boats that are coming in. Uh, people got some amazing watercraft. And, uh, you know, Cold Lake is a beautiful body of water when there's no wind. Um, you know, if it's a 40, 50 kilometer hour wind, uh, you know, that is a dangerous body of water. But uh, we're blessed uh, living here. And that's why a lot of people. Do we, do we know if Age Friendly is sold out? I thought yeah, it's, it's close. Sold out yeah, very okay, fast. Yeah, it didn't yeah, take yeah. long. Uh, didn't take and so long, I think. So. Yeah, if anybody wanted to do it, it's too late now. You got to well, wait. No, for actually, next year uh, how it just works. Don't register it. <laughs> how yeah, how uh, works are actually with age friendly. When you can actually, if you can't make it, even though you're registered, if you can't make it, you can then uh, sell your your you'll give your your spot to another person that might yeah. make it. But there eventually will be a cutoff uh, before the derby. A few days where if you bought your your registration, you can't resell it. Resell it. Okay. Okay. And the city one doesn't uh, do allow that. Uh, the city tournament in uh, June. I don't think we uh, we allow that option where you can, if you, if you register. I don't think we uh, let you change out. Yeah, we we're pretty stringent. On, yeah, we you guys uh, yeah, in the city are very tough. Yeah, we're yeah yeah yeah. We want to make sure that uh, everything's in order. Yeah, yeah. yeah. By the book, by the book. <laughs> <laughs> you create a bylaw for it. No, it's it'll be good. And of course, the idea with uh, getting behind the city's a major sponsor for age friendly. Uh, and the Age Friendly Group uh, is doing a fantastic job of uh, fundraising, um, and of course the proceeds go to help their organization, and um, and part of it is the men's shed. 
And uh, so I got some volunteers and uh, tournament Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and it'll be on, uh, you know, people will be registered. There'll be a lot of fishermen. And the idea is that it's an economic spin inside the, the, the city. Uh, restaurants and hotels are going to benefit from uh, from the fishermen coming in. Yeah, so between the, uh, so that's in February. Uh, do we have a date on that? It's right around, uh, oh man, you're killing me here, Kevin. Uh, oh, 50, sorry. I'm getting too, too yeah. detailed on the podcast. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It's on the, it's on the website anyways, uh, and on the community page on the city's, uh, Middle community of February. calendar. They're sold out anyways. Yeah, so they're sold out, but, um, so there'll be lots of people in the community, but Beyond that, we also have the uh, new, uh, minor hockey tournament that's coming up. Ronald McDonald Hockey Tournament. Yeah. That's the same weekend. So it's that family day weekend type thing, right? Oh, so you well, got the, the Monday's the holiday. And so uh, uh, the, the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the minor hockey, uh, Coal Lake, Bonneville, uh, Elk Point, uh, Glendon are all hosting uh, all of the, the kids from around the province coming in for the big Ronald McDonald tournament. Big fundraiser for them. Uh, it's going to be great. The hotels will be packed. And uh, so we're all going to be playing at both arenas at Imperial Placer. You'll be able to put tents out on the lake and uh, put people out there for the uh, hockey tournament. Oh, yeah, you can. Yeah. And then, of yep. course, there'll be the, you know, uh, our activities for the city uh, during the, the Family Day uh, Monday. And then, of course, the Ski Hill, uh, Kinnisoo Ridge will have a bunch of stuff going on there. So, um, you know, people will be busy out here. There's no doubt about it. Uh, it's going to be exciting. And then a few weeks before that is Cold Lake, I think, Figure Skating Club's uh, an event kind of happening as well. So yeah. not, not a tournament, but they're, uh, um, but it is a competition. competitions. Yeah. yeah, no, it's great. I mean, it's yeah. good. I mean, that's why we built the facilities, having a double rink, and then the lounge in between is just uh, catered to big, huge events, and it's going to be it's gonna be another one. Well, the kids will love it when there's an arcade, that uh, small arcade being put in there. Yes, yeah, so that's uh, part of the in the capital thing. Was a little nugget in there is is uh, we get we get a lot of people. A couple of games when when um, you know brothers and sisters have to go to their 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 brother's hockey game or sister's hockey game. You know, some of the kids tell us they're bored. So um, having an arcade, climbing wall has been nice. Oh, climbing wall is amazing. Yeah. And uh, so we're going to put a small arcade in there, and uh, we'll have it closed up probably during school hours, but. Uh, uh, unless that's part of the curriculum, but, uh, uh, you know, that's going to be exciting. It'll probably take us a while to get that installed. Oh yeah. Yeah. It'll be yeah. a while. And then basketball nets. I, I, I was at, uh, the, the field house and, and already people are uh, pretty excited about the fact that oh, we yeah? have basketball I've nets. Been, uh, I've been told house. that once we put those in, that, uh, there will be a bump in the uh, memberships at the, uh, at the energy center. There's a lot of people that ask for that, uh, that type of, uh, product. So. And a new flooring at the field house. Right. Yeah, that flooring is getting pretty old. If you look at the one side, you know, just with all the events and stuff like that, it, it needs to be resurfaced. Yeah. And the it's, farmers market starts up again on February 9th. so. It'll oh yeah. Be back up and going on Thursday, so uh, that'll be there, and I'm sure that uh, they'll be talking about putting a, a weekend on for that one weekend. I think it's around well, the, the farmers family market. Sure, liked it, liked liked it at the energy center. I think it's really worked out with them for the uh, um, different type of uh, audience. Yes. To the uh, and clientele that come to the uh, function uh, to the uh, farmers markets, it's it's really worked for them. Yeah, and it's open right till six thirty, so that gets yeah. those people that are at that last minute uh, coming home from work uh, between five and six, they yeah. get a chance to get in there and get their baking or get their favorite soup or uh, whatever else they might need. I, I go there for some of the Indian food. I spend a lot of money there. Yeah. yeah. So, Bill, <laughs> you, you're involved in another organization now, don't you? Have an event in February too. Uh, we have an event with the Kinnisupa Farming Arts coming up. That's on the 25th. And we have February? 
of February. We have Tim Tarashima coming in. Uh, he does the uh, the Rat Pack music, uh, the uh, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, and Sammy Davis Jr., and he'll be singing a lot of their songs that are in there. So, uh, but that'll be the the only one for February this year, and then uh, we start again in October. And that's at the Lakeland Inn. At the Lakeland Inn, uh, supper starts at six. They can get it through the Lakeland Inn, and the performance starts at eight. Well, there's certainly lots to do in Coal Lake in February and January. So the idea is to keep everybody busy. And so um, I think what, what what I would really entice people to do is uh, be linked into the City of Cold Lake's uh, community event calendar. Um, more people that utilize it to um, you know to populate their event on it. And also people can monitor it to, to, you know, to book their schedules. I know sometimes that uh, there's been some weekends that, well, why is there so many events running this weekend? You know, I could have did this on a different weekend. Well, I think when you're planning for events, you can also look at the community events calendar of which day that might be a weekend or day works best for you versus other programs. The more people that we get utilizing that page, um, uh, and it is heavily populated. If you go in there and look at it, you can see all the stuff that's going on in the community. The more that we can get, is, is becomes more fulsome and more useful for uh, for the community. A huge uh, assessment for everybody to use when you're looking at doing planning. And I know uh, I was just at a meeting uh, again with the performing arts uh, looking at for October and we just finished booking a, a comedy. We're bringing in uh, some professional comedians coming in uh, called Mid-Raged and uh, you're going to get 90 minutes of uh, a lot of new exciting things coming in. So uh, it's going to be one. Uh, I, I'm thinking that uh, they're going to be so popular, we're going to have the people asking to bring them back for the field house and uh, get oh, three, right 400 on. people in there. But right uh, that community calendar has a lot. Uh, we just, last night, we just booked the, uh, the car club uh, with our new uh, car show at the Energy Centre. We're looking at August 20th for next year. Oh, so, wow, right uh, on. We're going to be putting the permits in and getting everything going, and uh, we're hoping to hit 150 vehicles this year. So the car bring out the Z again. Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> I got uh, two cars to bring. So <laughs> right on. Well, Bill, on that note, um, it was. A, I think this podcast was pretty painless. But a lot of people think our council meetings are comedy acts. So, um, anyways, uh, I think we're good. No, we tend to put people to sleep. Yeah, we put a lot of people. That's what, these podcasts put people to sleep. That's what we've been told. But, uh, no, I, I thought we had a good show here today, and uh, we'll sort of close it on that. Just uh, welcome to 2023, everybody, and uh, we're going to try to get the rest of the other counselors on, up on board and uh, do a show here in the in the coming weeks. Right on. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year, everyone.